Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude, a hospitality branding and design group. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. If you enjoy the podcast, please be sure to leave us a review. Thank you for your support. In today's episode, we sit down with Will Spursum, founder and head of design at Boundary Works, a design and development group creating new experiences in the blurry spaces between home, office, hotels, and nature. During our chat, you'll hear about Will's background as senior design director at AutoCamp. You'll also hear about his recent leap into starting his own firm and learn about what he believes are essential components of creating great outdoor hospitality experiences. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Will, it's so good to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, yeah, just thank you for having me on and uh, facilitating so many great conversations about hospitality. Yeah, uh, we're excited to dive in. We we came across you with your work at AutoCamp and have just loved watching the evolution and kind of where you're headed. So um, excited to dive into the conversation. Maybe just get us started with a bit about your background and and what led you to where you are today. Yeah, so I started out in a traditional architecture role, um, moved to the Bay Area in 2006 and worked on large custom homes and wineries, uh, hospitality spaces throughout California and some international work. Um, And I was lucky enough when I was a junior designer, not yet licensed, to do a lot of site planning and programming early in my career, which is pretty rare. Um, And I kind of kept at that over the years. Um, and eventually that led me to kind of want to broaden my horizon. So I jumped into a Y Combinator startup that was doing net zero prefab homes for a little while and then paired that experience with the architecture experience uh, to join AutoCamp. Uh, so I was the design director there for three years. And now I have my own design and development services company called BoundaryWorks. Yeah, um, that's really cool. So maybe you could just dig into some of the lessons that you learned during your time with AutoCamp and kind of taking the experience that you had up to that point and um, what you guys were able to do it at AutoCamp. Yeah, I think the uh, the biggest lesson, you know, really is a, is a service design problem. Um, the there's a big gray area between what we all are very familiar with as far as camping and what we're all very familiar with from a traditional hotel. So everything in between is, um, you know, very poorly defined. We're starting to see, you know, some threads of things that are, you know, more consistent across the market, but that space in its whole is is very different. So from brand to brand, even at similar price points, you'll get a wildly different experience and different offerings. So that was kind of a big challenge that was always the forefront of our minds at AutoCamp from the executive team all the way down to the operations team. We had a lot of careful conversations about what are we, what are we offering and how are our guests going to receive that. And so from a service design point of view, we really had to look at you know, when do we first interact with the guest all the way through to them departing? You know, how are we educating them? Um, the biggest issue we had was uh, misaligned expectations. Um, I think we all know what a, a traditional hotel experience is like. And when you're in the wilderness and you, you know, 
something goes wrong and you're in a limited service campsite, uh, you fall back to those normal hotel checklists. Um, so we spent a lot of time trying to decide, are we a resort? Are we glamping? Are we camping? And then there's a host of other labels that people are exploring with, you know, kind of varying levels of service from RV parks and, uh, you know, whole new models that are coming out. So I think from a holistic point of view, everybody needs to be very proactive about how they communicate with their guests to tell them what they can and cannot expect. And hopefully you can do that communication and education in a proactive way. So the guests get excited about the the visit um, and aren't hung up on being reminded of what they aren't going to be offered at your particular resort or experience. So I think that was probably the, the biggest first lesson is just how do you keep people excited and engaged and educate them about an experience where they don't know exactly what they're walking into and, and build that experience for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I'm curious as you were talking and kind of sharing about how your team, it sounds like you guys kind of took a step back almost and kind of just started picking apart, you know, the guest experience, what, you know, some positioning topics and how you want to be perceived and things like that. But, you know, as you were going through that discussion internally, you know, who was involved with that? Um, you know, how long did it take you guys to to come to those conclusions internally? We started a, a monthly uh, customer feedback uh, meeting where we had everybody from the executives all the way down to the GMs at the individual properties uh, would get together and review what are the common themes here? Uh, what are our common, what are the high points and low points that we see most often? And how can we address those? And then when we had kind of identified those low points or people where we had common misalignment of expectations, uh, we went back to, you know, who can really tackle those. So the reservations team would change their messaging and we would, you know, kind of change how we were reaching out to the guests in advance. And then similarly, the GMs and their on-site experience teams, all those front desk staff, the, the first kind of first greeting uh, evolved so that we could get in front of those issues. Um, and and then people would always would more frequently feel like they were their needs are being anticipated. Um, it's always better to be in front than to be reactionary. Yeah, that's really important. And, and I'm glad to hear you guys, you know, um, solicited, you know, your guest feedback and just really dove into that. That's really smart. And, you know, kind of, as you mentioned, like looking, you know, when you're talking about building your reputation as a brand and the experience and all that stuff. And, and as you look at the landscape of outdoor and hospitality, um, lodging and you know just these outdoor experiences um who do you think has led you know in that explosion so to speak of of these outdoor hospitality experiences who do you think have been kind of the front runners of that yeah i think right now you've seen a big difference in there's kind of a variety of price points i mean there's some people like the pause up resort um that is that ultra high-end full service experience that's really bringing that sort of that catered resort summer camp experience and then you have it kind of the other end of the spectrum you have under canvas which is really i think made people more aware of a, an experience that's a little bit more rustic and a little more self-guided and somewhere in between i think we're going to start to see people building a, a new kind of limited service outdoor space so I think there's a few companies like Fine Sanctuary that's out there doing really, I think, really 
new models of lodging and branding. And then I think another one that I think is really pushing this whole model forward and really embracing the concept is Sagra Farms. Um, They're really about that experiential learning. So they want to pair working agricultural places, uh, facilities and, and farmers with their guests in a way that is just a really, it's a really deep and resonating experience, resonant experience for their guests. Um, and I don't think anybody else has that same, that same, that same depth of experience and opportunity. Um, so I think those are kind of where I see people really embracing the land, you know, we're going out in the outdoors, that's your biggest asset. And however, you can find a way to accentuate that and bring it into the guest experience, much more so than just, hey, we're here in the woods. And it's pretty, isn't it? You know, (laughs) so I think, I think Sagra Farms and, uh, and Fine Sanctuary and a couple companies similar like that are really kind of pushing that experience forward. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting to kind of see where it, it ends up because I, I feel like glamping kind of took off as an idea. Um, I don't even know if you like that word, but um, glamping in parentheses. And um, it seems to resonate with people. And it seems like a lot of people are now trying to get into this space. Kind of zooming out, what do you think is is the reason that this seems to resonate with so many travelers and, and people looking for experiences? I think over the last two decades, we've seen a, a long, a long running trend of uh, outdoor recreation becoming more and more popular. It's been growing steadily since the early 2010s, and the pandemic was just a major accelerant of that existing trend. So we've seen uh, everything from outdoor recreation uh, equipment for outdoors, campsite uh, bookings have been up since well before the pandemic. KOA has seen some pretty incredible data from their network of campsites. And in the same vein, we've got a trend of rising consumer preference for narrative-driven brands. People want to see local engagement. They want more responsible and sustainable features um, when they're traveling and making their consumer choices. So I think both of those pair is uh, really well in the outdoor hospitality world. So it's an extension of both of those trends. Um, if they can find an experience and an adventure that you can't get from a more urban hotel chain and it's done in a more sustainable and mindful way, I think that's going to be a long running trend, you know, beyond the accelerated pandemic effects. So I think at, at all levels of guest experience from the mom and pop campgrounds to the full service resorts, I think we're seeing all of those operators are making some pretty big changes and expanding their offerings which is great to see. Yeah. Yeah. You make some good points there. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, the trends are all pointing towards this being a very sustainable and, um, you know, very um, established, you know, it's not really a trend. I wouldn't even call it, um, you know, this, this idea of sustain, sustainable travel and um, ecotourism and all these types of words you hear, I think, you know, or it, it's, it's going to be here, you know, for the long run. So, um, you know, kind of circling back, you know, back to your career and, you know, with, with auto camp and your time there and, um, you know, as you made that departure from auto camp, um, and started boundary works, what was, um, you know, what was that process like? And, 
you know, um, what difficulties did you encounter and, you know, how did you uh, approach that and during that transition period? Yeah, I think the biggest one was, you know, one of the primary drivers for me was, uh, you know, just personal life choices, you know, looking at, you know, where I was at in my career and where my, my family and family planning and all of that kind of came to a head. And I said, you know, I have this, have had this amazing experience at AutoCamp working with a great team. And there's a lot of really intelligent people there doing some, some pretty fantastic work in a new market, which is always difficult. Um, when you have low data, high expectations, and you're sort of out in front, uh, it's a really unique place to be operating. And one of the things that I noticed that really drove me to Boundary Works is that there's a big knowledge gap in the industry of how to design and plan for um, large-scale distributed sites in outdoor hospitality. Um, the balance of staff, time, resources, maintenance costs, landscaping, even just projecting out a CapEx budget, it's a completely different equation for a 20-acre resort or glamping or RV park even than it is for the equivalent key count in a hotel. So there's a lot of people out there looking to do more with their land that they have. And it's very difficult to, to get started. Um, and having done that over the years at AutoCamp, that's something that you know I feel uniquely qualified to address and want to get in there and help people make the best use of their land and really figure out what is a way that you can really design a facility that you know celebrates the place that it's in and do it in a more responsible and mindful way. Yeah, that's really awesome. I know that that will be a huge uh, asset to anybody looking to get into this space. And so I'm curious, like, what are the services and kind of like, where do you think your area of expertise as far as a service aspect is with Boundary Works? Yeah, I think there's a big gap, I think, when I, as I kind of alluded to in that early uh, site planning uh, phase, it's difficult to make the numbers kind of work without having a plan and some really um, at least ballpark numbers from a construction and pro forma point of view. You know, you're staring at a blank page with an outdoor resort and it's difficult to fill in some of those early numbers. So one of my uh, kind of freak, my most frequent service is really to step in and say, well, let's look at two spectrums of how we can approach this property. Let's look at the low impact, minimal effort, low key count solution. And then let's look at a max key count as, as much as we can get there in a, in a responsible way. And then workshop with the owner to go back and forth to find the sweet spot in the middle there. I think if you look at both extremes, you usually sort of tack back to the center. Eventually, you're going to find that sweet spot where you can compare and contrast some costs, some schedule, timeline, and start to build and visualize what executing this project is really going to take. So I think a lot of that is a little bit of a service design strategy exercise up front. And the design side that I'm adding is really just taking you know years of site planning expertise and kind of cutting very quickly to what some of those early iterations of a site plan might look like. I think that's that's probably the biggest uh, kind of service that I've been offering lately. And 
also just doing a little bit more of that amenity and um, amenity offering studies. You know, we've got very different ways of traveling these days. Um, we've got a mixture of vacation and family and office and people are very frequently not completely uh, detached from their work life. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of poor hotel rooms out there that don't serve a family well, that don't serve a work traveler very well. And, and that applies the same to the outdoor hospitality world. I think we've all spent too much time probably in a hotel room with a 46 inch TV, about six inches from your face, trying to do some work. And uh, it doesn't do doesn't do anything that you want very well. So as we've been working through some of my projects and clients, we've been trying to look at what are ways we can create some new spaces, even in an outdoor distributed campsite that that allow for that group activity that allow for better work environments, really a better place to take that phone call. You can't absolutely, you can't get rid of. You mentioned, you know, as you're talking through like the site planning and how that relates to, you know, just the pro forma, the early numbers, filling some of that in. Um, and you mentioned, you know, you, you give two options as far as like a low key count versus a max key count. And obviously I don't, you know, I, I would assume, you know, owner ownership in general they're probably looking for to maximize revenue and be able to you know maximize that key count within a you know a small you know given footprint so obviously it's not just revenue based though either so you know what are other considerations as you're workshopping you know and and kind of uh, working that out with the ownership what are other things that are typically factored in i mean is it like workforce around the area programming other types of things you're looking at yeah, I think, you know, the first and the biggest uh, question we just, we always want to answer up front before I draw anything is to really discuss with the owner, like, how, what's their vision for this property long term? You know, is this a short term endeavor? Is this a, a long term family tradition? Is this, you know, get a flavor and a feel for how they really want to treat this property? I think that can really have an impact on, you know, the long term viability of a project. If the end goal is to have this in the family forever, then the max key count option, you know, with with limited, you know, group space and and really stretching edge to edge, is going to change that property for a long time. And I think that's something that I've had a couple clients walk back from a little bit. They've seen what that max key count looks like, and they say, you know, that's that's probably not for us. Even though the numbers look great, we think we can make this work for less. So that's the first kind of big hurdle, and the second is almost a little is the boring one, which is utilities, you know, where are people going um, to park? Where are they eating nearby? Where, you know, what are the septic and utility systems capable of supporting? And those have some interesting thresholds in there that you, once you cross, the numbers can get very big, very quickly. Um, when you get, you know, out of, out of the traditional septic and you move into a giant wastewater treatment plant, you know, that goes from 100,000 to 600,000 pretty quickly. So you kind of have to look at a lot of different touch points and decide, make a lot of if then statements and work towards something that makes sense for everybody. Um, I've even worked on projects where a five key count reduction kept us under the wastewater treatment plant, the water company gave us a will serve letter and everything clicked. Um, in that moment and we were able to move forward yeah that's really cool so just like staying adaptable and kind of creating the experience in real time as you 
as you sketch it out and as it becomes more clear, just being willing to adapt to what makes the most sense for the site and kind of your goals. Yeah. And then those guests really, you know, that operation needs to run well. And you alluded to staffing, you know, staffing that, you know, post pandemic and during the pandemic was already, it was pretty difficult to begin with and it's, it's only gotten harder. Um, so it's, it's difficult for every owner to, uh, be a responsible manager and, we have a mix of seasonality and we all know what it's like to try and staff up during peak season and find a way to responsibly ramp down into those low seasons. And it, that is a very difficult situation, both for the employees and for the, the owners and managers to really uh, be aware of what those staffing counts need to be. Um, and even more so in a remote area where lodging is limited and, laundry service is limited and you know it, it becomes a, a, a bit of its own equation for folks to solve as people are entering this space what do you think are the most essential components of creating a great outdoor hospitality experience i, I the site is your greatest asset if you're if you think that people are willing to travel to this unique place i think you need to really embrace that and i think that that should be the focus of everything you do. They're coming there for the place and every offering on site should enhance that. So I, I, that can really manifest in a lot of different ways. Um, it can show up in how you plan the site with views and where you put tents or cabins. Um, it can show up in the structures and the design of them it can reference the local vernacular and really make people feel like they are in a resort that is tailored to this unique place. And from then on, you've got all these unique opportunities for little touch points, you know, and in winter sites, all the little things about cleaning boots and everything else can be, you know, super valuable. Um, And I think all those little touch points from the start to the end really make a feeling of a place uh, probably the, the best benefit you can have. And then I think there's a big service design exercise, just the right level of service and amenities. You know, are you offering everything? Are you offering very little? Are you offering um, full food and beverage? I think getting that right out of the gate, really knowing what your guests will need in that place when they come to visit is really crucial. So I I often ask a lot of my clients, you know, the worst case scenario, it's 6 p.m. You have a family of four. The kids are unhappy. They've been in the car for a few hours and they're trying to kick off their great weekend, telling them to drive 30 minutes back to the nearest restaurant because you don't have food or they didn't know to bring it is really going to set that weekend off on the wrong foot for them. And so really building out your communication and offering is, is critical. Yeah, that's that's something a lot of people don't think about. I think what you just mentioned even is like not only on-site experience, but also, you know, how that translates into the surrounding area and, you know, the resources around you. Like, you know, if there's no restaurants or other things to do, um, your site, you know, probably needs to be a little bit more self-sufficient and have, um, you know, a lot of that, you know, on your property. And, um, you know, I on the flip side of what Dustin just asked about, like, you know, what what elements go into creating a, a great outdoor, you know, hospitality experience. We've, 
I'm sure that you've seen more than anybody. Uh, I know I have like, you know, a lot of people jumping on this bandwagon, so to speak. Um, you know, you see people just throw up string lights and a few canvas tents and call it good. Um, but, you know, as people are kind of rushing into this space, I think, you know, and it's growing in popularity, wh where do you think people most commonly are missing the mark in, um, in other ways? Yeah, I think you raise a great point about what I call the, the outdoor hospitality paint by numbers. There's a lot of people that have an idea of like, oh, this is, you know, this is representative of camping. So they've got the plaids and the, the, the uh, hammock here and there and, you know, a spare bike or two. And that's kind of how they show up for that. Um, I think where you can go farther in that experience is really in the programming, which is difficult on any site when you've got limited staff and a limited budget for that. But I think programming that involves the local community and the local outdoor offerings, I think is going to be the the deal breaker for a lot of people. Um, AutoCamp really started to get into that. Um, they would bring in, you know, the park ranger from Yosemite on Friday evenings to talk by the fire about the history of the park and what makes it unique. Um, there's other resorts out there that do some really fantastic programming with local conservation groups, um, whether that's food and beverage oriented with herb picking and edible plant seminars and other things like that. I think that's where you can really make a difference in what you are offering. Um, if there's something like that over and over, I'm going to come back to experience that again and again. Um, and so I think building that repetitive guest profile and making a really unique uh, community experience is going to be the big differentiator for people moving forward. Yeah, it's exciting to see this industry evolve and kind of mature away from some of the kind of primary ideas that Jeremy mentioned and figuring out what people really connect with and what keeps bringing people back. So the title of this podcast is Future Hospitality. So one of the questions we always ask is, what are you most excited about as you look to the future of hospitality? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we've kind of touched on some of those things, which are challenges in the market now. And we're seeing a lot of new types of spaces and um, offerings hit the market. I mentioned one earlier, Fine Sanctuary is a really low service group that's that was just featured in Forbes, actually. Um, and they're looking at, you know, a really kind of holistic view of how they they meet the land, how they meet their guests and what services they provide. And it is, you know, very limited service and it's very tailored. But I think those kind of offerings that show up with a, a true and deep understanding of what they are and what they're offering and how they're using the land is going to be, a, I think, a big driver going forward. And as we all look around, as the available land shrinks and commercials, commercially zoned properties become rarer and jurisdictions limit development, and frankly, as customers become more shrewd, I think the brands that embrace uh, that those tenants of local engagement, responsible development, uh, low impact development will probably be more successful and resilient into the future. So I'm excited to see how people really come up with ways to meet that, whether that's um, seasonal offerings like... Um, there's a company out there called Jupe, J-U-P-E, that's doing a really great product that's flexible 
that it can move seasonally, super efficient flat pack construction where you can get a bunch of them on a truck and relocate them in a day or two um, with zero impact on the land. Um, so I think those those new ways of addressing the outdoors and and finding that kind of blend of the right level of service and that right level of development, I think is going to be the differentiator going forward. I think that kind of value add has a lot of staying power for people when they want to come back um, over and over. It feels less of an indulgence and, and a more, you know, more resonant experience for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the insights that you've shared on this. Um, a lot of great things for us to look up and do more research on. How can people keep in touch with you and, and learn more about Boundary Works? Yeah, well, thank you again for your time. I mean, this has been a super uh, interesting conversation just to think about as I prepared and um, always great to hear you know all the different guests you have on. Um, <clears throat> I'm at boundaryworks.design um, is my website. And you can also reach me at will at boundaryworks.design. And um, I'll be hopefully putting more and more work up on that website as, as some of these projects become real and a little landscape grows in so they look good in a photograph. <laughs> but I'm excited to hear from anybody that's interested in learning more. And um, if anybody just has even questions, um, happy to answer them. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, this is such a fascinating aspect of the industry. And uh, we've loved learning from you on it and uh, are excited to see where you're headed with all of this. So thanks again. Great. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Will. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about Longitude, you can visit longitudebranding.com to see our portfolio of design work, read our insights blog, and learn more about our team. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Longitude Branding.